The bedrock and surface deposits of Pennsylvania span over a billion years of geologic time. I guess we can say that Pennsylvania literally rocks. Welcome to the PCPG podcast series. The Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists formally invites you to join us on a journey to explore the geology of the Keystone State and to meet the people who study it and work with it in their everyday lives. Welcome to the PCPG podcast. I'm your host, Greg Rosenswag. With me today is a very special guest, soil scientist, professional geologist, professor, author, and a voice you may recognize from other PCPG podcast episodes, Russ Lasco. Welcome, Russ. Thank you, Greg. It feels a little strange being on this side of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're here today to discuss your recent book, The Traveler's Guide to the Geology of Costa Rica. Uh, however, before we travel down that road, can you tell us a bit about your professional background and involvement with PCPG? Well, my professional background is is varied. I actually started out in primate research. My bachelor's degree is anthropology, archaeology, and I spent five years studying monkeys in the wild and another six uh, in captivity. Then I got into the soil field found out that I really liked it, went back to school for it, uh, worked in it for many years, and then eventually went back and got my master's degree in geology, passed the PG exam, uh, got involved with PCPG, was on the board of directors for a number of years and still active. I mean, obviously producing the podcast and uh, active with the organization. Was it rather natural going from uh, studying primates to studying soil and, and rocks. That, I mean, it's... <laughs> it, it was a bit of a shift, but in, in everything you do in life, you end up interacting with people and people are just big monkeys with attitudes. So it was good training. <laughs> All right, and so from talking with you over the past several years, I know that this book isn't your, your first time venturing down the literary path, but uh, is this book your first publication of this magnitude? It is. I've contributed to some books in the past, uh, was first author on a technical manual. I've got some peer-reviewed publications and uh, some other uh, writings that I've done. But yeah, this was uh, – what I've been telling people is this is the first book that I've ever written that people might actually want to read. So kind of a natural progression from professional writing into doing something more of a um... – like a personal project. Yes, yes. This was more uh, kind of a labor of love. Uh, you know, the, Costa Rica is very special to me. And so to have the opportunity to to delve into it this deeply and, uh, and, and kind of give back. So your, your book lives up to its title. Uh, the chapters are divided by region of Costa Rica, the Central Valley, the South and North Caribbean regions, and the Northern, Central, and Southern Pacific regions. And you take the reader on a sightseeing tour across these areas, not only pointing out geologic features of the land, but also providing a geologic history of the regions and the impacts these have on the environment, wildlife, human populations, both past and present. So can you tell us how the idea for this book came about and the work involved to bring it from an idea to the final product? And I also want to mention uh, Dr. Adolfo Casado Roman and Dr. Daria Nicotina as co-authors with you on this book. So I'm sure your answer reveals how it came about working with the two of them in the development of this book. Yes. Uh, so 
as I said, Costa Rica holds a, a dear place in my heart because it's what made me a geologist. I went there on vacation many years ago with my family, got there and saw uh, the volcano Mount Arenal erupting, and that prompted me. I was so fascinated by it that I was that prompted me to enroll in grad school and get my my uh, master's in geology. But the the birth of the book came about as a lot of these things do, as uh, kind of serendipity. Uh, I ran into Daria. Daria and I have published together uh, before. Ran into her at a party, and she said to me, gee, I really could have used you this spring. I really could have used the soils guy. And I said, oh, why is that? And she said, well, I took a group of students to Costa Rica. And I said, oh, I love Costa Rica. And she goes, well, uh, we're going back next spring. Would you be interested in in coming along? And I said, Absolutely. So as time went on and it started to get closer, the, the university was willing to scratch together some funds to, to pay my expenses. And together, uh, we took 20 students, um, most from Westchester University, but we did have a student from Moscow State University in, in Russia, which is Daria's alma mater. And uh, Dr. Quesada uh, Roman joined us uh, for a, a couple of days to help us out. And he and I became fast friends. And we stuck together, you know, on the road and hiking and whatnot. And we were, we were talking constantly. And he mentioned to me that he was coming to the United States to present a paper. Uh, I think he was going to be in San Francisco. He said, but I'm going to stay a few days extra because I want to go see the Grand Canyon. And I said, well, if you're going to Arizona, there's a book called The Roadside Geology of Arizona. Do you have that? And he said, I've never even heard of the book. I said, I'll send you a copy. And you're you're going, going to want this book. So he pressed me on it. Well, what is the book like? And I said, well, imagine what we're doing with these students in a you know, seven to 10 day period in the form of a book. And one of us, I forget who joked at some point that evening, you know, at, at dinner or after we'd had a drink or two, you know, oh, maybe we should write this book for Costa Rica. And we all laughed. Well, the timing was such that I couldn't mail the book to Adolfo. I had to mail it to the hotel he was going to stay in in Flagstaff. So it was waiting for him when he got there and he loved it. And he texted me right away. He said, this book is great. I'm going to go here, 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 and here. We're going to write this book for Costa Rica. So that was the start of a five-year project there. You know, I naively thought we could turn it around in a year. That just wasn't possible. But uh, it, uh, it, it got the ball rolling and the momentum going, and here we are. Yeah, it's nice... Um that you're able to take something that that starts off as an idea or somewhere that you you've been you liked it and then be able to have a a project like this come out of it yes and th there were bumps along the way uh the the initial idea was that i would do the writing adolfo would field check everything and provide photographs and then daria would be our third line of defense to to fact check everything and, and check the writing. But then Adolfo got accepted to a PhD program in Switzerland. And I, I remember calling him up and saying, well, congratulations, but you're totally messing with the plan here. Uh, 
And his response was, well, you need to get on a plane and get down here because we've got to get this done. So that's what happened. I went down there for, I think it was two weeks, 10 days or two weeks. And the two of us just got in his vehicle and started driving around. And I joke with people that if you ever really want to get to know a foreign country, all you have to do is team up with a geography professor from that country and write a book together. And and say, we have two weeks to do this. Show me everything you have. If I went to Costa Rica and lived there for a year, I couldn't have found everything that Adolfo showed me in those two weeks because it's his country and he knows it like the right. back of his hand. And we were in places that I was really afraid we weren't going to get out of, but we did. <laughs> and it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I guess a, a knowledgeable local guide is always best. Absolutely. Earlier you mentioned uh, your first trip down there um, and seeing Mount Arenal and, and how that kind of spurred your uh, direction in, into geology. So in, uh, in the book, you were discussing volcanoes and, and lava flows, and you mentioned a very rare fossil find that you made on one of your trips. So could you tell us what this fossil is and why it is so unique and rare? Well, as geologists, we're taught that if you're seeing a fossil in a rock, that you're virtually certain that it's a sedimentary rock. But I recall from my childhood, probably the first book on geology I ever picked up and read, I was probably nine or 10 years old at the time, that it had a picture of, I, I believe it was the imprint of a palm frond in a lava flow from Hawaii. And it held that up as the exception that proves the rule, you know, that you can have fossils in igneous rocks, but they're incredibly rare. So anyway, Adolfo and I are, are making our way down the, the west coast of Costa Rica. And he insisted that we had to stop at every beach along the way because every beach is unique. I thought that was a little impractical, but we managed to do it. And he was absolutely right. Every beach is absolutely unique. But we got to this one beach that had basalt exposed on the beach. And we're walking across this basalt and I come upon these shells embedded in the basalt. It was pillow basalts uh, or pillow lavas. So these are submarine lava flows. Now, basalt flowing out on the surface, hitting shells would likely vaporize them. But underwater, the stuff cools rapidly enough that some of the shells survived. And it wasn't just shells sitting on the surface of the basalt. These were deeply embedded in the rock. And I took my rock hammer and chipped around, and you could see fragments of them sticking up uh, in other places. So it only took me 60 years to find a fossil in igneous rock. So I think the uh, takeaway lesson there is if someone says, we have to visit every beach, you say yes, because you never know what you're going to find. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to give away too much of what you have in, in the book, but a, another discussion that I found fascinating was the topic of pollens in lake sediment cores and the suggestion that what we know as wild natural rainforest may actually be forest that has taken over an area previously cultivated by indigenous peoples. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Sure. Do there, I have that right? Yes, you do. Uh, there was a study done on lake cores in the southern part of Costa Rica out on the Pacific coast. This is an area that is impacted by a volcano that is not in Costa Rica. It's across the, the border in uh, Panama. 
uh, I believe it's Baru uh, volcano. And when it erupts, it tends to blanket this area in ash, and the area is unlivable for a few years. These pollen cores showed that this place had been abandoned many times, but the people always came back and re-cleared and started cultivating again. And the implications are that what we see as pristine rainforest untouched by humans is often in a tropical setting like that. It could just be rainforest that nobody has touched for a few years, five, 10, 20 years. And in fact, some of the wilderness areas uh, in Costa Rica that people like myself uh, pay to go and see, they look like virgin rainforest. They are not. They're second growth forest. Uh, Costa Rica was do, following the same model that a lot of the countries in Central America were back in the 1960s, clear cutting their forests, exporting the lumber. And then they were by various means convinced to preserve those forests and that that would draw tourism. And it, it really did. Uh, the implications there are are far ranging, and and we actually do see evidence of this. For example, in Amazonia, which has always been held up as the prime example of primordial rainforest, and isn't it amazing that the indigenous people can survive so well, and there's so much food for them, and these medicinal plants, and so on and so forth. Well. Now, remote sensing and uh, drone exploration, and especially LIDAR, is showing that Amazonia was heavily populated in the past, that there were uh, towns or cities with roads in between them, that this was a thriving area right up until probably European contact. The natives were probably wiped out by disease, and the jungle took over. So it's not so much that the primordial rainforest could support uh, human beings so well, it's that what we see as untouched rainforest is actually a plantation that has gone wild. And the indigenous people there are simply harvesting the fruits from their ancestors' uh, careful shepherding, shepherding of the landscape. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, so it's not... Um... Because everything isn't what it seems for some. Yes. <laughs> so from several trips to conduct your research for this book, I'm sure you have developed a fondness for Costa Rica. You mentioned earlier when Daria said she could have used a soil scientist in Costa Rica. You said, oh, I love Costa Rica. So we know you, we know you have a fondness for Costa Rica. Overall, what is your favorite thing about Costa Rica? Wow, how much time do you have? Uh, we could go on for hours about it, but if I had, you don't have to pick one. Just okay, pick one. if I if I had to pick one, I would say the Corcovado National Wilderness. It's on the South Pacific side, in an area known as the Osa Peninsula, and it is an area that was settled, was farmed, but the government decided to protect it. The they made a deal with the the people who were farming the area and the people donated their land back. I don't know what exactly compensation they were given, but there there is a monument there to those people. And in fact, they are buried on that land. They insisted that they be buried on that land. But the area was allowed to go back to being wild and it is protected. 
you cannot enter it without a licensed guide and you have to get a permit at least 48 hours ahead of time to get in there. When I visited it uh, with my friends Martin and Vicki Homke and their daughter Megan, to get to it, we had to drive to the last town on the road, then another 27 kilometers on dirt road across a couple of rivers, then abandon our vehicle and walk the last three kilometers to get to the entrance. So they don't exactly make it easy for you to get there, but the biological diversity there is absolutely incredible. Uh, you go there, you will probably see more species of animals in a half day than you may in the rest of your life, unless you're a really good traveler. Uh, there are, for example, six species of wild cat that live in the Corcovado. Uh, there are all kinds of species that are endangered elsewhere, but are very common there. Very, very beautiful area. I would highly recommend it to everybody. I would imagine there may be primates there. Absolutely. So that come full circle. It does come the, full the start circle. Of your professional yes. career. Uh, you know, when I when I started out working with monkeys, I was working with uh, new or I'm sorry, old world monkeys, uh, African monkeys that had been imported to the new world. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to work with the new world monkeys. And I had my first encounters with them in Costa Rica. There are four different species of them there. And one of the things that I learned early on in Costa Rica is you don't need an alarm clock. The howler monkeys will wake you. They are some of the loudest animals on the planet, and they start vocalizing when the sun comes up. So clearly a lot of effort went into the production of this book. So you had research, international travel, the coordination and planning for each trip to be able to see the geology that you discussed firsthand. Uh, and then, of course, compiling it all into this text. And so what would you say was the most difficult or least fun or least exciting part of this whole process? And I just want to point out, I'm, I'm asking this with the thought that maybe there are listeners out there that would be interested in one day taking on a project like this. Uh, but may find themselves discouraged early on by hurdles or perceived hurdles in, in the process. So discussing any hurdles that you may have had and how you cleared a path over, around, or through them may be the bit of encouragement they need to keep pursuing their dream project. Well, that's a really good question. And I would have to say just uh, just perseverance is what is needed. Initially, I thought that this was something I, that we could, you know, with three of us working on it, that we could turn around in a year. And at the end of a year, we had maybe 30% of it done. And as you start to write, you start to notice the things that you missed. You know, oh, I wish I had taken that picture. Oh, I wish I had taken better notes at this spot. I wish I had gotten the GPS coordinates of that spot. You start to miss these things and you start wondering, okay, do I need to have another trip to go back? Uh, and, and we did. Uh, we did go back to, to recover some ground and get some photographs that we needed. But it just comes down to, as with many things in life, not giving up. You know, if, if it's something you really want to do, just lean forward and do it. And... People may tell you, oh, it's too hard. You don't have time for that. You do. You just need to allow yourself to do it. I think that's good advice. 
and then if you realize along the way that you missed something that that you wanted, then that opens room for a follow up, like a second book. <laughs> uh, final questions: Where is this book available, and what is the best way for those listeners interested to get a copy of your book? Well, as with everything else, apparently on the planet, it's available on Amazon. That's where I got mine. Yes. <laughs> so you can order it directly off of Amazon. I would uh, caution people, though, that it is cheaper to get it directly from me because I can get it at the publisher's price. Amazon charges their price. And so ordering directly from me, you know, I, I can get it to you at the publisher's price plus you know, a couple of dollars, which is significantly less than Amazon charges. Well, you heard that. Contact Russ and save a few dollars. Uh, anyway, I'd like to close this interview with a statement that you have in the preface of your book. Um, I'm just going to read it right here. Having a deeper understanding of something beautiful only makes it more beautiful. And that's something that really struck me. And it's early on in the book, too, the first page or two. And I think that's an important message for all of us is, Better understanding leads to more appreciation, more caring, and more kindness, which to me, those are all good things that I think everyone would benefit from. So I just want to thank you for your time, Russ. Um, as he said, the Traveler's Guide to the Geology of Costa Rica is available now. So contact Russ, pick up your copy, and let him take you on a journey through geologic time. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Greg. This has been a presentation of PCPG's a poorly sorted but well-rounded podcast series. These podcasts are hosted on several platforms and also available on the PCPG website. A special thanks to Cheyenne DeLawrence for the introduction. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking a moment to give us a rating, leave us a comment, and let us know what you think of the content and what you may want to hear in a future episode. Remember to subscribe so you're notified when the next episode becomes available. PCPG is a nonprofit organization working to advance the practice of geology and the allied sciences and the success of our members through advocacy, education, and networking. Whether you are a corporation, a professional, or a student, please consider becoming a PCPG member today. Just visit our website, pcpg.org, and be sure to check out the resources tab. In case you missed it, please check out the previous episode where Russ talks with Dr. Rahman about geoheritage. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Greg Rosenzweig.